the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and I have a correction to make in your bulletin. We are going to look, we are going to begin with Shorter Catechism number 73. We're going to go all the way through 81. So we're actually covering the last three commandments this evening. Beginning with Westminster Shorter Catechism 73, which is on page 875. And I will ask the questions, and we will together give the answer. Which is the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment is, Thou shalt not steal. What is required in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment requireth the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. What is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment forbiddeth whatsoever doth or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth or outward estate. Which is the Ninth Commandment? The Ninth Commandment is, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. What is required in the Ninth Commandment? The ninth commandment requireth the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man, and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness bearing. What is forbidden in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment forbiddeth whatsoever is prejudicial to truth, or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. Which is the Tenth Commandment? The Tenth Commandment is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. What is required in the Tenth Commandment? The Tenth Commandment requireth full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. What is forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? The Tenth Commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor and all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. Amen. If you will please stand as we read from God's word this evening from our passage, which is 1 Kings chapter 21. We'll look at the whole chapter this evening. First Kings chapter 21. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. 
But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth at the head of the people, and set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. As it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. This time, if you would like to sit down, you may. Let us continue with God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth where he has gone to take position. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. 
Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly, utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. For the anger to which you have provoked me and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what is evil in the sign of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. Thus far, God's holy word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask for you to bless your word and the preaching of it this evening. And we pray that uh, you will use it in our lives, that we might know you and the power of our salvation, that we might live out the truths of your gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this evening, I went ahead and put the last three commandments together because the passage that we are looking at tonight contain major violations of each of these commandments. In fact, not only are these commandments broken, but many of the other ones that we've looked at in the past are as well. And actually, this rule applies anytime we commit a sin. We never just break one commandment alone. In actuality, all of the commandments go together, which is partially why I, I decided to group these last three commandments together. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, Whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. What James says here is true, not just because we must keep the whole law, but because when breaking one commandment, we actually break them all in some way. Over the past few weeks, we have seen that breaking the commandments of God always begin with what is in the heart. The 10th commandment, the last commandment, expressly deals with the heart. And we might say that it, that is the 10th commandment, is the root of all the other sins that we commit when breaking God's law. James, in his 
epistle also says in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We could actually translate the word desire in this verse with the word covet. So that the verse would then read, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own covetousness. Then covetousness, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Coveting in the heart is what leads us to break the other commandments. And this means that though we may not actually steal, murder, or lie outwardly, when we desire to, we have sinned already. And Paul makes a similar point to this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, when he calls coveting idolatry. Idolatry. If we desire something unlawfully, then in our hearts we have already sinned and broken the other commandments. See, in our passage this evening, Ahab covets Naboth's vineyard. And from the moment he coveted it, he had already stolen, lied, and murdered in his heart. He had certainly placed that vineyard higher than God in his own life. When we began this series on the Shorter Catechism, the very first question and answer, we learned that the chief end of man was, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But when Ahab coveted Naboth's vineyard, he made that vineyard his chief end. Perhaps we could even say he made himself his own chief end. Tonight we will see the danger of coveting and how quickly it can lead to breaking other commandments, not only in our hearts, but even with our outward actions. Well, coveting is where our story begins in 1 Kings chapter 21. Naboth had a vineyard that King Ahab wanted. And so Ahab intended to make Naboth an offer he couldn't refuse. Give me your vineyard, he said, that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. Well, it turned out to be an offer that Naboth could refuse. He responded, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. Naboth's response was in accord with what God had commanded in Scripture. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 23 says, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. 
More specifically, the Lord had told them in Numbers chapter 36, verse 7, that the inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another, for every one of the people of Israel shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. Naboth, in this passage, teaches us that we are to desire after God and desire after doing His will. His heart was like that of David's who in Psalm verse 40, verse 8, wrote, I will delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. King Ahab, on the other hand, gives us an example of what not to be like. He shows us that rather than the Creator being his chief end, he makes the pleasures of the creation his chief end. He desired that vineyard so badly that he went home and he acted like a spoiled child. He begins to pout and sulk about not possessing this wonderful vineyard. The author tells us that after Ahab goes home, he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. Like a child turning to the wall, not speaking to anyone, not coming to the dinner table. What a baby. Well, his wife, noticing his childish behavior, says to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And in response, he told her a half-truth. He responded, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. I don't know if you see the half-truth there. Phil Riken actually points this half-truth out that Ahab tells here, and he, he says this. Actually, this is not what Naboth said at all. In fact, his whole point was that the vineyard was not his to sell because it was not his to own. Naboth had never told King Ahab that the vineyard was his. It was the vineyard of his father's. It was his inheritance. And ultimately he knew by the verses we read earlier that it was ultimately the Lord's vineyard. And so now at this point, not only has King Ahab coveted his neighbor's vineyard, but it has also led him to lie to his wife. And so up to this point in the story, Ahab has broken both the 10th and the 9th commandments. But it doesn't take long before the 8th and the 6th are broken as well. See, Ahab's wife Jezebel, who happens to be probably the most evil woman in the Bible, she responds to him saying, 
Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. What do we see here again? That it is the vineyard that makes his heart cheerful, not the Lord. His master is mammon. Wealth is the master that he serves. And so his wife helps to bring his covetousness to a reality by devising a plot to bring Naboth before the elders and leaders of his city and then having two worthless men bear false witness against him saying that he has cursed God and the king. And the punishment for such a crime, for blasphemy such as this, in Old Testament law was death. And with Naboth out of the way, her husband could have that wonderful vineyard. Well, there was the matter of Naboth's children who would inherit the vineyard, but according to 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 26, they had them put to death as well. All that Queen Jezebel had wrote to the leaders and the elders of the city happened according to plan. Naboth was seated before the elders of his city and two men brought a charge of blasphemy against him. And so here we have a violation of the ninth commandment which states you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Ultimately, this is speaking to the heart of lying. Telling false lies. Specifically here with bearing false witness against your neighbor. You see, the queen had obtained these two men because it takes the testimony of two or three to bring a charge against someone in Old Testament law. And the text calls these men worthless men. It can also be translated wicked men. But this word, more literally, is translated sons of Belial. Belial is used in scripture to name Satan. These men were wicked. They were sons of Belial. And so they had no problem lying or bearing false witness against Naboth. Jesus tells us exactly what these type of people are like in John chapter 8 verse 44. He says, you are of of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Well, this not only describes these two men here, but it describes basically all of the antagonists in this story. King Ahab, his wicked wife Jezebel, and these two men did the will of their father, the devil. 
And once it was accomplished, King Ahab claimed Naboth's vineyard for his own for himself. It only took lying and murdering to prove that they were indeed of their father, the devil. And in claiming what was not his, he was now considered to be a thief as well in the eyes of God. That vineyard was God's and he had given it to Naboth as an inheritance. But Ahab took it unlawfully. The answer to question 74 of the Shorter Catechism says, The Eighth Commandment requireth the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. As the king, Ahab, more than anyone else, should have worked to further the wealth and outward estate of Naboth. But instead he hindered his neighbor's wealth. He did not acknowledge the vineyard to be God's property given to Naboth. And therefore when he took it, it was like stealing from God as well. You see, when we steal, whether it is from a vendor, from our employer, or from our neighbor, not only are we failing to respect what is their property and possessions, but we also fail to respect what is God's. King Ahab may have had more possessions than anyone else in all of Israel. And these blessings had been given to him by God. But he had not learned to be content with what he had, as Paul speaks about in Philippians chapter 4. Ahab certainly was not grateful for what he had received. Instead, he desired more. And if God was not going to give it to him, then he would take it by force. Now, no one can truly steal from God. Psalm 89:11 says, "The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it, you have founded them." All of creation is his. The vineyard was still God's whether Abraham took it or not. But God was going to make him pay for stealing that vineyard. In verse 17, we learn that the word of the Lord came to Elijah the prophet. And here is what he said. Arise and go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, have you killed and also taken possession And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Judgment was going to come to Ahab for his wickedness. Now, as we read a story like this in Scripture, we probably think to ourselves, Good, 
He deserved to be punished for his wickedness. He was an evil man. But what if I was to say to you that this story is really about you? I just did what Nathan the prophet did to King David when he told him a parable about what he had done with Bathsheba, which is another story of coveting, lying, stealing, murdering, and even adultery. Now, I'm not saying that this story with King Ahab is not a real story. This is not just a parable. It is true history. But it is also a lesson that teaches us about ourselves. You see, we have all coveted things that were not ours and in doing so have committed murder in our hearts. We have spoken lies to others. And I would be willing to bet that in some way, shape or form, we have all stolen. Whether it is cheating on our taxes, being slothful on our boss's dime, or pocketing candy at the candy store. We are the Ahabs of this story. We are the sons of Belial. And just like Ahab, judgment is coming for us. Because God must punish sin. He is holy. So what must we do? Well, we must continue to be like Ahab. Would you believe that he repented of his sins in this passage? Some commentators deny it because of some of the actions that that Ahab does later in his life. But God himself in our passage told Elijah, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? You see, because he repented, his judgment was delayed until the days of his sons, the text says. And if God can have mercy on Ahab, then God can show mercy to you and to me. And that is precisely why he sent his son, so that your judgment might fall upon him, the just For the unjust. Our holy God. Is angry. With our sin. And his wrath will be poured out. For our sins and upon our sins. And for those who are in Christ. That happened on the cross. You see, he is the one who this passage is ultimately about. Where Ahab did everything wrong, Christ Jesus did everything right. He kept the law of God. He is the fulfillment of these commandments. You see, rather than stealing, he furthered the wealth and outward estate of himself And of others. For when he rose from the grave, he received the inheritance 
that the Father would give him, and he shares it with all of you and with me. And for all who are united to him by spirit-wrought faith. He has furthered our estates. And rather than lying, he proclaimed himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. Rather than coveting, he desired to do the will of him who sent him. And he righteously kept the law and exchanged his righteousness for our sins. And so the response we should have is the humility that King Ahab had. Humble ourselves and repent of being Ahabs. For then we can be called sons of God. Listen, you were created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, not the things of this world. You cannot serve both God and money. If you try, then they will choke out your faith just as the, the weeds do to the crop, as we learned this morning. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth as if they are your chief end, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. See, Peter tells you that you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, which is kept in heaven for you. And as Peter tells us, as we learned in Sunday school, that inheritance is Christ himself. God is our great reward and our portion forever. He is our chief end and our inheritance. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Only in him can we speak the truth that Jesus is Lord. And so, this passage urges you to repent of your sins, to turn to Christ for salvation from yourselves. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will raise you with Christ. I'll leave you with the words of Paul in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ who fulfills all these commandments. And Lord, we know that we have broken every one of them. 
And we pray, Lord, that you will continue to help us see how we break them and that we might grow more and more in holiness. That we might live a life of repentance and faith. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to take serious these commandments. We pray that you will help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And that we might love our neighbor as ourself. We pray that we might glorify you as we live our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name.